think it's almost like uh, you know good wine it comes slow Hello, print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. Each week, I chat with artists who use print-based media to do something beyond the expected. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as in Spanish with Ronaldo Gil-Zambrano. Together, we speak to printmakers around the globe about their practice and passions in the world of printmaking. Hello Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products, who've been offering a diverse range of high-quality products to your creative practice since 1997. But we all know that these products do not use themselves, and that's why Speedball works with a fantastic lineup of contemporary printmakers who make up the Speedball team of demo artists. Artists like Chris Estrada, whose interest in exploring visceral reactions of inclusion and exclusion through the implementation of imagery present in any town, USA. Whether portraying the welcoming invitation of warm neon or the ghostly abandonment of a deserted strip mall, his intentions are to transport the audience to the physical and mental state of having nothing to do and nowhere to go. So if you want to learn a few tricks of the trade and expand and improve your practice, head on over to Speedball's YouTube channel to see how it's done. There's a link in the show notes. My guests this week are Jan and Esther Alsenheim, also known as Mr. and Mrs. Woodzilla. Jan and Esther are known for crafting their incredibly strong, portable, and durable presses and their home in the Netherlands. We'll hear about how a move to Singapore inspired Esther to take her creative practice into the world of printmaking, how they started making presses after returning home to Holland to stave off reverse culture shock, and how did they know it was time to go full-time on Woodzilla with five kids and two cats to feed. Not to mention, they've got some pretty nice advice for artists looking to turn their side hustle into a main hustle. Also, for this episode, we're partnering with Speedball Art Products and Woodzilla to do a giveaway of a press and some great ink. So head on over to the Hello Print Print Instagram for details on that. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to... With Jan and Esther. Hi, Jan. Hi, Esther. How's it going? Hi. You're fine. (laughs) Hi, Miranda. Yeah, we're good. Excellent. I'm really pleased that you could join me and that your cats and my dogs are behaving at the moment and we're not having a lot of background noise. So we'll we'll see. Touch wood. Hopefully that'll continue. And that we've got a chance to get to know each other a little bit better and I can learn more about your story. Yeah. Yeah, it would be great. Well, so far, so good. Everything's quiet. Cats are out of the room, so (laughs) Wonderful. Well, before we get into the questions, would you please let our audience know just who you are and where you are and what you do, just for a little introduction? I'm Esther, Esther Elsinghaan. I have a small creative studio studio named Studio Tokek. And in my studio, I design and make stamps and prints. I draw a lot and I love to work with fabrics. Uh, We live in the Netherlands. I live there with my husband and five kids. And my husband, Jan, or uh, Mr. Woodzilla, together for uh, 24 Uh, years. Yeah, about 24 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We live in Dordrecht, a small city, beautiful place to live. I love my job and my small studio. And uh, it's fun to have my kids around here. 
and I'm married to the best, best printmaker of a <laughs> hand press maker of the world. So I'm happy and lucky and maybe a little bit spoiled with all the presses in the house. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm Jan. I'm uh, well, Esther's husband, and uh, like she said, Mr. Woodsiller is pressmaker since uh, I don't know four years, four or five years, something yeah. like it. Um, yeah, and uh, like Esther said, we live in a beautiful little city, Dordrecht. We have everything nearby. Well, that's the beauty of the Netherlands, I guess. Everything's nearby. Yeah. <laughs> so even my workshop uh, is about what. 10 minute drive yeah. mm-hmm. but okay then again we usually open bicycles so that's a little bit longer but in short who we are Mr. Woodzilla Mr. and Mrs. Woodzilla I love it I love it so you said um, you're in the Netherlands and I'm a bit familiar with that beautiful country and I'm just sort of curious are you in the north or the south or in the middle if you were to west. in the west <laughs> yeah, yeah. but i think most people know know rotterdam um yeah. it's just uh 30 well, minutes yeah 30 minute drive okay. from just yeah. to the southeast so um yeah pretty close on the on the on the western side of, of the netherlands i think it's Wow, half hour drive to the sea oh beautiful yeah. i saw an exhibition in rotterdam of another famous Jan, Jan van Eyck, and it just was one of the most incredible exhibitions I'd seen in my entire life. So I have such fond memories of Rotterdam just for being able to see those works in person. I had done my master's degree in Northern Renaissance art and, of course, seen many, many reproductions of the work. But, of course, as we all know, as creative people, there is nothing like seeing work in person. So I know I know a bit about where you're from, you so that's fun. You will, love, you will love Dordrecht, probably. That's a very old city. Yeah. The, the houses here are around 400 years old. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, especially in the city center. So yeah. it's, it's a beautiful... Uh, if you love, uh, like, Renaissance, Renaissance and, yeah. then it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely a go-to place. Yeah, I was going to say, 400 years ago that's my that's my sweet spot that's where I yeah. know a lot about art that's wonderful uh, Dordrecht is the oldest city of, of Holland so. yeah so where did you all grow up um, and then what role did art play in, in that part of your life and your formation mm, yeah well we do, do you know Kinderdijk? The, uh, if, you've, if you've been to the Netherlands, you yeah. probably know it. Yeah. The 19 windmills uh, of Kinderdijk, that's where we grow up. Yeah. And so both, you, both of you, okay, did you yeah. know yeah. each other growing up at all? But, but we didn't know uh, <laughs> each other. No, no. Yeah. Jan is a little bit older and... We were going to another school. Yeah, so we only met when you were working at the bakery, bakery shop. Bakery, yeah. Oh, that is cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so, like, were you artistic kids growing up? Did you go to museums often? What role did art have in that sort of formational years for you? Well, from my side, art was never really a big thing. I think more for you. Yeah, no, well, yeah. I had all the space to be creative, but we didn't go a lot to museum and stuff like that. But I had the space, and my parents, I'm yeah, gonna they, say, they supported they, you. Yeah, that, they yeah. supported me. Safe place to to grow. Yeah, it was a yeah. nice. Place, Maybe yeah. a little bit boring. <laughs> <laughs> I was lucky to study uh, in a bigger city, and the village was quite boring. But yeah. mm. but then you you did the art and and uh, yeah. a fashion study. Yeah, in Utrecht, a bigger city, mm-hmm. and 
Ja, dat was fun. <laughs> so yeah, when I met Esther, she was always the yeah the creative type, and I was and back in the days I, I I studied mechanical engineering. That's where the the handy hands come from for making presses. So when we met, uh, you were really the yeah the artistic type, but we were both uh, you know always working on little projects and yeah. build a house <laughs> oh wow really build the house yeah or you know um doing some work on 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 a motorcycle or a car or whatever and you know so it was always we were always busy and then when the kids grew up oh when we got married and we got we got the kids i think that that stayed i mean you kept on doing your creative uh work and i was <laughs> when i was around i was doing the house yeah basically. yeah Mm. Uh, I was traveling a lot at that time for for my previous job, or one of my previous jobs, and uh, yeah, traveling all around the world. So I was off many times for weeks, and uh, well, you were at home, <laughs> at with, home five. with kids. With five. Yeah, that'll keep you busy. I studied art school, art and fashion, and I had a few jobs in in the fashion industry, but I didn't feel uh, didn't suit me very well. I didn't like the, the, the fast fashion and all the stress mm. around it. And then I was looking for another job and then I was suddenly pregnant with all this. <laughs> and well, I stay at home and well, long story short, <laughs> seven years later, there were five kids. <laughs> and uh, now, well, oh, then you came back and told me uh, we... Nobody we, would like to go to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really wanted to go to Singapore. Yeah, we got it. We got it. I got another job in the meantime, and then they they asked me after a year whether I would take the whole family and all my stuff and move to Singapore for a oh, couple of years. Oh wow! And we didn't that have to think a, about. No, it. <laughs> there was a dream come true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was traveling before that, and I always had in mind, you know, it would be wonderful if we could live abroad for a period with, with like all the kids. Like Esther said, the village that we grew up in was small and safe. safe but, yeah. you know, you also met a lot of people uh, around there that actually never never left the village. You know, they, they were already nervous if they like like 20 kilometers from home. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, so just to teach the kids, you know, that... Yeah, yeah, you were uh, Jan was traveling a lot yeah. in that time, and always I was always a bit jealous of him. <laughs> I love to go with the kids and and yeah, move <laughs> somewhere else. <laughs> so yeah. Singapore was a dream. Yeah, I think a lot of people thought we were completely nuts going there with five with kids. With five kids, yeah. And I must say, the first uh, the first time that my boss asked me whether I would consider to go there, I was like, well, maybe he's had a drink too many. When I ask someone with five kids to pack all their stuff and move to Singapore but in the end yeah we went there and uh, it was fantastic but yeah the other the other thing was yeah it was mainly focusing on work it was just mm. for me work again yeah I think maybe you've experienced also in in Southeast Asia the, the, there's not so much of a uh, do-it-yourself uh, mentality nobody mm. is uh, doing a lot of those those things I must say nowadays we get a lot of questions also from for instance Singapore to send presses over there so that's that's actually quite funny but there's not much of uh, you know handcraft did you get a chance to visit at all the STPI while you were there the publishing print studio that's in Singapore no, wow. no. But then again, print printmaking was not in the picture for us yet. Oh, okay. Well, it started yeah, yeah. there, but only yeah, the year before we moved back. So I didn't see that the no that kind of uh, no. things. Yeah. So how did printmaking 
kind of work its way into your creative life? I think it started with the the beautiful fabrics on the market in Singapore and the rest of Asia. I really uh, was interested in the process of the batik and the other printed fabric. So I started to do it myself, but very easy with an eraser and reused other materials like plastic bags and stuff like that. I think the last year I found somewhere a little speedball block and that was my first real block that I carved and yeah, then I was hooked. Yeah, absolutely. And so you're saying you're using plastic bags, did you say? Yeah. Yeah. I painted on the bags and then I printed it on fabric and it's quite beautiful actually. Oh my gosh, that's a very clever at home yeah. monotype. I imagine too you could get all kinds of textures too from the from the plastic and yeah, that's a it's a whole new side of printmaking. Um, yeah. <laughs> wonderful. And so you're kind of exploring printmaking or, you know, living in a part of the world that, of course, is just so full of color and sights and sound and incredible yeah, food yeah. and and all of that. And I'm sure being inspired. And so at what point did you say, we should make a press? You know, we don't have enough going on. We've got five kids. We're living abroad. We should also take on. <laughs> no, no, we first moved back. And yeah. uh, the first year was quite hard for us. Because we didn't like the whole Dutch life again. Yeah. The rain and the cold and the, the kids were moody and, well, we needed <laughs> we, a year to, to, to land. Yeah, at again. least, yeah. It took us quite some time. I mean, moving there was easy, but then... Going uh, back was Moving back was the hard part. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, After a year, we said, now, well, think positive again <laughs> and let's move on. The kids can do it, so we can do it as well. Yeah, we really had to, yeah, re-grab ourselves and, and, and move on. So That's you started, why, yeah, yeah, I you started, started Studio Tokek, and Tokek means lizard in Sa, yeah, in uh, the Indonesian language. And that's because I love the little lizards in the house. And yes. I hope to, to bring that sunny feeling that I had there to my little studio here in the Rady Netherlands. So yeah. now I started Tokek and I have a super small home studio, really, really tiny and a little desk in it. And then I was looking for a press that was strong, but small. And it was a thing I couldn't found it. We both searched for it, but yeah, the ones that you found, they looked a bit, yeah, flimsy or, you know, well, easy to break. And while she was used for everything that I made. Yeah, it was it was a uh, you know quality, yeah, <laughs> bomb proof so to say. So um, then she asked, well, can you make something like this? And I well I thought of the design and thought of a way that you know I would make it in a way that it would be sturdy enough to handle the pressure that yeah that it had to generate. And you know I was just looking at things ways to improve it, the designs that I saw, and just you know from from the function trying to make something that would work. Yeah, that's how the first press came in. Yeah, I think after a week you had a, <laughs> a kind of prototype and yeah. we tested it, and we were oh wow, it's working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it worked really well. Yeah, and it actually was yeah completely off from the design that we have nowadays because yeah, of yeah. course you learn along the way, but. So we changed the design again a couple of times, but the first one worked really well. Yeah, 
Yeah. And yeah, that, that's basically, yeah. You're inspiring me a bit here because I'm experiencing a bit of that reverse culture shock, uh, Southeast Asian homesickness myself, having moved from Thailand six months ago. And, you know, coming to, we're in Santa Fe, which is the desert, but it's the high desert, so that the winters are very, very cold. And I'm just thinking, listening to you too, I'm like, I think Tim and I need a project, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> It was the same yeah, year. Same yeah, year, yeah. It, it I really, think it it saved us. Yeah, yeah. Time. I was just about to go and, and go and say the same, but it really saved us. It really gave us uh, some goal in life, and of course, we were really lucky that, of course, when you yeah you were already active on uh, on oh, like on Instagram, Instagram yeah. yeah. That's that's where we got a yeah. You posted some some photos of the press, and that got some attention, and yeah, one thing led to the other. So that's when we made the second press, which was already a little bit upgraded. But yeah, that that project, so to say, making the presses, that that really that really saved us. And yeah, from from the years to to come, well, to, <laughs> till where we are now, it grew a lot. But the first few years was really, you know, sometimes two presses a week, sometimes three, sometimes if there was like five presses a week, then I would be because I still had the daytime job besides it. So. Yeah, it was quite hectic. But then, you know, Esther would, I would come home and Esther say, oh, we got a few more uh, inquiries for the press. And yeah, that was really funny. Also, because I was yeah making everything from my little shed in the backyard, uh-huh. <laughs> which is actually only a yard is close to a meter, right? So it's about nine square yards. So that's close to nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there I was doing I was doing everything from cutting, welding, making the the, the wooden plates, uh, doing the spray painting even. So yeah, you can imagine the, the side of the shed after a, after a few years. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, driving the neighbors crazy also right right all the, all the presses were drying in the kitchen <laughs> <laughs> on <Yeah>. the racks <laughs> yeah i made a drying rack in the kitchen and then yeah I, <laughs> if it was empty you, you would say can, can this rack finally go out again because you know when we would have a birthday from the kids or something and we have some visitors over and then and you would be, <laughs> we had to move our stuff all the uh, presses right? all the presses out and mm-hmm. During the weekends, the, the the dining table would be filled with presses, building them up. So yeah, that was that was kind of an intense period. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious, maybe if you could speak to a bit more about the design process itself. You know, Jan, you you spoke to the fact that you have this background in engineering, and Esther had been already feeling this lack of the small, strong press, as you described it, which I just love. And having used it at the last SGCI, I think that's the perfect little tagline for a little Woodzilla. But what was kind of that like, that actual, this thing doesn't exist in the world, I want to see it in the world. How do you start about that journey of of what is it going to look like and how is it going to function and how is it going to be manifested? Yeah, well, it, it's just uh, well, it, in the end, it's it's still a simple lever press, so it's the, the principle is pretty straightforward. But then you gotta find a way where well, Esther as a user still has enough space to put whatever she wants to print onto the press. Then it's gotta be strong enough so you well, you try and you you're, you're gonna make some calculations on how strong it should be. Think about people using using their 
body weight actually to, to mm. do that. The first one I think was was not that stable yet. Uh, no, no. No. So the second one already we uh, we reversed the the, the operating uh, mechanism, so it's it's uh, as stable as it is today. And and thicker material. Thicker material. Mm-hmm. So we changed the materials a few times, and one of the challenges I think was to 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 get the straightness of the plates right because that in the end is very important of course for your for your printing result i mean if the plates don't match then yeah in the end your prints are never going to work yeah yeah so Mm. and we managed to yeah to make it in 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 such a way to bond the plates together in such a stable way that we can say safely that they're always they're always giving a good print result so, but yeah, that was that was a challenge, and I must say that also the questions that we got from from various customers that was actually in the beginning that was really lovely because it was on a, such a small scale. We could also make more, all, all kinds of custom designs. I mean, there, there are many one-off Woodzilla presses in the world. We experiment a lot with it. Yeah, we started an A4 size, I think. A4 was the oh, first. Okay. Yeah. So um, that's like letter size. Yeah. yeah. And then someone asks, oh, do you do uh, A3 as well? <laughs> and okay, A3 can, can be done. Yeah, I thought the guy was crazy inch, when, he, yeah, when he asked me. <laughs> and in the beginning, we did all the, the custom colors. Yeah, so you yeah. can choose any color you want Yeah. And we, uh, that you liked. Jan spray painted in that color. And yeah, it was very unique. Yeah, and, and that was also quite nice, I think, with the with the clients they, they could pick their colors and there would be stories behind the the colors they picked like you know my granddad had uh his workshop uh, machinery in this and this color so can i have it the same way or you know stuff like that but also the designs like like i said the extra white press that i make nowadays that was that was asked for initially by a lady from norway and she wanted to do larger pieces of fabric uh, that she mm. wanted to the press can you make it uh wider so i can i can put more fabric into uh, under my press and uh, larger larger pieces yeah of course we can we can we can give it a go and she drove all the way up from norway she was visiting some she was she was going to visit some relatives in in the uk and on the way to the ferry she picked up the press it was actually yeah, that's, yeah that's those stories white, uh, yeah but those are press, funny yeah. stories the the context that we had with with our clients also a guy in, in in the US he wanted to have a press 16 inch square because he was running a a, a record store and he ah. wanted to uh, do do printing on the on the covers for the records so yeah all those all those things at, at that time we could do that because it was only one two three presses a week yeah yeah so uh, it but a, it was there was a really learning uh, yeah yeah process yeah. and yeah, during that process, of course, during the it, yeah, the presses more or less they evolved to where we are now. Um, yeah, then then it became too many. Yeah, <laughs> then it was then, to, to keep in the house. <laughs> it was really crazy. I mean, the whole house was filled with presses and um, yeah. All the packing materials were upstairs in the kids' rooms. <laughs> oh, I bet. Crazy, yeah. 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 I wonder if you could speak to actually a, a little bit about that kind of tipping point, you know, where you realize that, okay, this Woodzilla operation is taking off and something has to shift with it, you know, that it's not sustainable anymore. Because I think a lot of people in the arts or in creative practices, you know, they'll have that moment where they're maybe they're just screen printing t-shirts 
or something. And then all of a sudden it's a few a week and then, and then they're realizing that they're essentially working 80 hours a week because they have a full-time job and they're doing this and it's taking over yeah. their house. And, and, you know, when do you kind of know or when did you know that it needed to take the next step? And how did you go about kind of deciding, you know, that's where you wanted to take it and not let's just pare back, you know, let's just only do custom presses and that um, kind of negotiation. Yeah. I think it's two years ago now that you... No, already a little bit longer because in, in, the, in the current workshop, we're already there for two years now. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we, let's say about three years, I think. Three years ago, we moved to, well, there was a slightly bigger shop or actually yeah, more like an additional garage. storage yeah. bay. So I still did all the works in the in my shed here in the backyard. But then we had the additional storage space because, yeah, things were just getting out of hand. The whole house was filled with materials and the neighbors were going crazy, of course, <laughs> of trucks. I mean, you have to imagine that, you know, like we said, Dordrecht, small town uh, or small, small city and um, <laughs> the streets are the not really... narrow streets. <laughs> yeah, 400-year-old <laughs> streets, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, then a truck driver has to try and squeeze his truck to, to, to offload some steel and then the neighbor uh, would start complaining again, where, where are you going with all this steel and <laughs> what the hell are you doing? So, and, and, yeah, of course, you know, when, when, when it's really interfering with your normal life, that's where you have to say, okay. And you had your uh, daytime job at I had, the time. I still have my yeah. daytime job. So, but then the presses were, of course, they were controlling the house more or less. So, yeah. Um, but it was a big step to stop the the normal job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and with five kids. That was a bit of a risk because yeah, you have to, you still have to pay the the the, the mortgage and and all your bills and five kids. There's got to be some food on the table. So you really have to be confident that you can generate uh, some income out of it. And that took us quite a time to decide to to really do that, to make that step. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> we never felt sorry for it. It was a, was a fantastic step. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like. And so what is the Woodzilla production look like now well it's basically still me yeah. <laughs> still, <laughs> it's still me and uh, uh, luckily my my, uh, my father-in-law he's uh, helping out a lot uh, he's yeah. already retired but he's uh, you know he's always been working uh, all his life I think since he was like 14, 14 years, years yeah, old, yeah. yeah now he's he's 76 Six. Yeah, 75. Yeah, 75. Yeah, so 75 years old and he's still working. I mean, he's strong as a horse. It's unbelievable. Mm. He's basically helping me out with with the press plates, doing the coating process on that. And that's actually quite time consuming. So he's most of the times he's there before me in the morning. So, yeah, he's a busy bee. But he's helping me out a lot. Sometimes one of the kids yeah, is, is helping me out boys, as well. Uh, yeah, the big help. boys can help. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's it. Of course, we nowadays, uh, let's say in the beginning, every single press part was made by hand. Uh, yeah. Apart from the screws. I mean, okay, you buy it in a hardware store, but everything else was, was handmade. And you can imagine that's really, really time consuming. So... Um, then we made a step or we wanted to make a step to, uh, you know, buying some parts. Eh? Just, I would make a drawing on a computer and send it to a, to a workshop and ask, can you do this for me? I need like, you know, uh, 50 or 100 pieces of this. Or the, 
And they would all come back and say, ah, come on, man, if you if you if you can't go up to uh, 5000 pieces, right. of, we can't do anything. And we were really reluctant to make that step because that's that's quite a step from going to to I don't know five six five in a week, uh, in a week yeah. to somebody saying hey man it's only interesting if you yeah. <laughs> it's just ridiculous um, so there was quite a surge yeah I feel yes. like I have another moment of missing Southeast Asia because in Thailand if we needed a metal part for anything for a press you just walk down the street and there was someone who made metal things for the neighborhood and you could just walk in and say you know you're with your drawing and and your you know 60 bot and they'll just they're just like come back in an hour but yeah i i definitely have experienced that you know just in terms of the podcast and the things that we need for the podcast you know like buying merch and that kind of thing and that that huge jump from southeast asia to Europe and the US where people are like I'm not even going to look at you unless we're talking like 5000 guys yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that's and that was that was really a challenge to to make that work and well finally in the end we, we got to partner up with some some companies here in the Netherlands and and they can supply us with you know pre-cut plates which I only have to glue and and uh, do the final work on it, but it's way easier than having to buy everything in in the hardware store and start cutting it up yourself. Mm. Same for the steel parts. I mean, it's so much easier if they come like laser cut and you can only just assemble whatever is is there. So that's 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 way easier. And yeah, still it's and it's and our still, design. Yeah, and still handmade. And well, still yeah. every mm-hmm. every rest is still handmade. Yeah, but luckily I don't need to uh, well, <laughs> to file anything. You know. <laughs> file all the round edges and, and stuff like that. Oh so my gosh. Yeah, uh, yeah, things are way easier than like three years ago. It's interesting because the way you're describing that handmade manufacture process, it actually reminds me a little bit of printmaking itself. You know, that that lining things up and the repetitive process and the, you know, making sure that everything kind of lines up perfectly. I, I, it's just, yeah, I'm like, oh, it kind of sounds like they're pulling an addition in the workshop a little bit. Yeah, no, it's, yeah I think you can you can compare it to that, of course. Yeah, I mean, if, if I mean, Esther is making prints, I mean, yeah, her studio is filled with uh, uh, repetitive prints. And yeah, it, it feels a lot like what I'm doing when I'm making the presses. I mean, you also want to have the best result for each each press so yeah you check them all you 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 know just you you feel them all because you want to make sure the alignment is correct and everything's functioning as it should so yeah it's uh, there's a bit of yeah heart and soul in every press i guess yeah i i think one of the things that really impressed me or struck me about it when i was using it was i had the little guy i think i think one of the smaller models if not the the smallest model with me at the table and you know, it's just like, it's just a cute little guy. And of course you call yeah. it like Woodzilla. And like, <laughs> I'm such a Godzilla fan. I can't even tell you. <laughs> it's like, I love big, anything with big lizards, Godzilla, Jurassic Park. I'm always there for it. And, you know, we were working on printing and the first time I really kind of gave it a, a tender little nudge and pulled it off and it made, you know, a, a good impression. And then I did it again and inked it again. And then, you know, really gave it like a good, like, elbow grease kind of pull and just got this beautiful crisp you know totally even uh print from it and it just it just felt so strong and solid and like you really could give it what you got and 
I guess I'm wondering how that durability is kind of built into it. Is it the is it the materials? Is it the kind of welding that happens? Like it's because you know you got to really make sure that they can sort of withstand many many different people's pressure and torque and and all of that. That's yeah. actually the Woodsela secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Proprietary. It's okay. It's okay. I, yeah. For the first ones, I, I think that we still have some pictures lying around somewhere of me testing the first presses. Yeah, uh, standing just, on it. Just, oh you know, really? Yeah, you you make you make a calculation. Okay, this this should be good, but if somebody really misuses the press, what's going to happen? Okay, let's just stand on it. And I'm like, uh, even uh, on the smallest uh, press, you yeah, can yeah. stand. <laughs> yeah, you can, so if you there. if you can't reach the the top of the top shelf, you can always use a press as a little step. <laughs> but yeah, it's it. <laughs> I tested it just you know just proof testing. Is let's see, just test it until it breaks. Yeah. But it didn't. It never did. That's great. And so is that sort of the part of where the name comes from? And so, you know, your your logo, your you know, you've got these little jaws kind of with the opening and closing of the of the press. So there is that fact that it does have a little could be a little monster, but is it also its its sort of durability as well that was the motivation for the name? Uh, yeah, I think it was. Now the, the the wood part, I mean, I was always into woodworking as well and yeah, before we started with the presses, I, I was always working in my shed doing some woodworks. I made all kinds of from wood furniture to whatever. I have beautiful <laughs> uh, chairs here, handmade. Uh, handmade chairs. Yeah, I was sitting on one actually. I made those all myself in my little shed, and that's where the the the, the love for wood comes from, and really love working with it. But then the presses came in, and or, or that started, and of course we. We realized that we're gonna, you know, just you wanna you wanna personalize it a bit, give it a logo, and Esther was was giving me a hand on that. What do you want? And I said, well, I'd, I'd like to put some distinctive tools into the logo, bring bring the wood back into into the name, and um, no, it didn't take it yeah, didn't take it much. Yeah, it had to be strong. Uh, yeah, it had to be strong. strong so like it had to it had to represent strength and and durability. So. Yeah, that's when all of a sudden somebody came out. Oh, let's say Woodzilla. Let's say Woodzilla. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> and then <Woodzilla> was born, yeah. <laughs> and then you've relatively recently had a partnership with Speedball too, right? And yeah. so how did that come about? And how has that kind of become a new chapter in the Woodzilla legacy? Oh, yeah. Well, actually, it's a, it's a big chapter. And, well, we're, we've only started reading, I guess. Well, Esther, you, you, you had the first contacts with, with Speedball, being a Speedball uh, artist. Artist, yeah. They asked me. And, um, I think it was like three years ago. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And. Yeah, so from from that moment on, we we got the first contacts with with Speedball, and um, well, we yeah, through Esther there was some contacts, and um, they were interested in 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 the presses. So we sent a few over, and they said, yeah, well, actually, I was already selling a lot in the U.S., but of course, they have they have such a big network, and 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 then they said, okay, can we can we join and and become your uh, distributor in, in North America and yeah well one thing led to the other and before we knew it we were packing pallets full of presses it was really unbelievable and well it was 
Uh, I think the last the last shipment went out last week, two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks two ago. Two weeks ago. Yeah. And it's amazing. So many, so many presses going to the US and so many uh, positive feedback that we're getting from that through this partnership with Speedball. So that's 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 fantastic. It's something we would have never expected like when we started three years back. Yeah. I, I think that kind of speaks to, in a way, something that I've been sort of relearning, having been out of the States. You know, I grew up here, I was born here, but I was gone for over three years. And coming back and just learning, my goodness, there are a lot of printmakers here. Like, it really is a really big and vibrant market. And, you know, of course, you, I've met wonderful printmakers in the other countries I was living in. And, and But just the sheer scale of the people who are here in the States who are excited about printmaking and want to have that community and want to be a part of it, it's really kind of impressive and almost a little bit overwhelming as someone who interviews print people. It's like I came back six months ago and I was like, oh my gosh, that's right. There's a lot of people here to talk to, you know, <laughs> from being abroad. Yeah. So it's, I think having a, a partner like Speedball who already has that established reach and that good reputation stateside, I can imagine that's got to be just, you know, really opening up that whole world to all of the people here who do printmaking, because there's a lot. Yeah, and that never stops amazing us. I mean, realizing that there are so many people into printmaking. I mean, when we started with the present, we were always a bit a bit reluctant on, you know, yeah, well, this has got to end somewhere, you know. Not everybody wants to have a press and how many how many printmakers can there actually be? And then, you know, you, you, you start... more than you thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Start, start drawing more attention, like via social media. And so many printmakers start connecting and, and started following. And you really realize that there are so many printmakers all around the world. And in places that you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you never expected, really, from, from Alaska to, to New Zealand yeah. to I don't know where. It's... it's Japan, Korea, wherever they go, it's it's unbelievable, and you still get messages from all around the world from from printmakers that are interested in these presses. So it's yeah, and and now the partnership with Speedball is is drawing even more attention, and yeah, like I said, it it, it never stops, it never ceases to amaze us how many printmakers there are in the world, and yeah. Uh, so many enthusiastic reactions to to the presses and well, you know you got some people on on instagram that keep on posting basically on a daily basis so they're really used as a as a workhorse as well every day i see people with with new prints on their presses i think the good thing about Mozilla also is it's for professionals but also the small ones they're not too expensive so they're for hobby and and yeah yeah, yeah. And beginners as well. So yeah, yeah. If you don't have to make a big investment or anything, it's is if you want to start printmaking or you've seen it at a fair somewhere and you think, hey, this is a well. The, I want to try. Yeah, it. I just want to yeah. try it out. You yeah. can you can easily do that. It's easy easy access. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, speaking of of moving or my moving, you know, thinking about it as. If you are in a place in your life, like you're a student or you're just in a job that you move around a lot, the ease of taking a press with you, I mean, that's always such an issue for printmakers. But 
a little sturdy little Woodzilla, you could truly put it in your checked baggage and end up yeah. on the other side of the world and pull it out again and yeah. have your studio. It's really yeah. wonderful. So do you know how many you've made at this point? Have you been tracking, you know, from day one, how many little Woodzilla babies are out in the world making prints? I think there's got to be around six, 7,000 at the yeah. moment. I think so. Yeah, something like it. Yeah. Well, I know there's many more printmakers than that, so <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure it'll continue to grow. I will. I will call my father-in-law and see see if he still has some time left. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I'm wondering, what kind of advice would you give to people who are looking to start a print-related business? Because I know from being in the contemporary printmaking world for now 10 years now it's really a lot of entrepreneurial spirits you know whether or not they want to start a tool business or start their own shop or just kind of start their own printmaking business where maybe they're doing home goods and fine art you know a lot of people in our world really do want to build something for themselves and see it successful and step away from their day jobs and still keep food on the table. What would you tell them? Or do you have any yeah, words of wisdom for people who are thinking about making that shift? Well, that's a good question. Like for our situation, we've always um, stayed on the safe side. I mean, the, uh, we've, we've only stopped our uh, day job until we were really convinced that we could make some money out of it and mm. yeah we didn't want to take the risk to do any major uh investment so we were always like okay now uh, we see some money coming from it we're going to invest it back into the company and slowly see it grow so that that's one of the things i mean if you if you want to keep up with with the growth i think of your of your company and see that it's actually profitable i think it's almost like uh, you know good wine it comes slow I think it's not typically a business that is, you know, like nowadays, uh, tech world, everything is fast moving and it's got to grow in a week's time. But that's not how it works. you you got to draw some attention either via social media or whatever your contacts are. And, and, and you've got to slowly attract your, your audience. And from that point on, what you will see your business grow. Uh, and if you have a good idea and a good product, it, in the end, it will sell itself. But it's, yeah, <laughs> it sounds a bit old fashioned, I guess. Yeah. But for us, that really worked. Just take it one step at a time. Don't throw yourself into big investments and because that, that may take ages before you earn it back. And yeah, maybe the, the good idea that you have today in two years time, somebody else will walk away with it. Or we'll do the same, so you will see your 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 turnover going down. So that that's always yeah a bit of the risk, I would say. So yeah, one step at a time, and yeah, if you if you have a good idea, it will it will surely sell itself. But mm. yeah, I would say be a bit cautious because there are so many pitfalls if you if you start your own business and and rushing in. Um, yeah, from our experience, is is never, never going to work. No. I think that's similar to some of the advice I give people when they ask about the success of the podcast and how did you do it? And it's just like very slowly, very steadily kept just trying to make something good. 
and just focus on making something good. And when you do that, you know, people will find you. The people, your audience will will find you. Like we live in an incredible age of reach with, with social media and the internet and people being able to just send links, you know, like, hey, check out this website, check out this Woodzilla thing. So the word does sort of naturally spread. And that's really the best payoff and the best stability you could ask for, I think, is that kind of natural growth. And that you don't need to reach everyone in the whole world, you just need to reach the right people. And that can that can happen through that slow and steady, just just make good presses for a couple years. And then people will say like, hey, these presses are really good. You know? Yeah, yeah but that's, exactly. that's exactly how it, uh, how it uh, worked for us. I mean, now you see all kinds of, even schools, everyone's asking for, for the press because they've, like yourself, they've either worked with it or they've, they, they, they've seen it somewhere or they want to give their students the opportunity to work with it. But also experienced printmakers are coming back. Last last week, I guess, I sent one out to, I was actually quite quite sweet. It was a, a guy that was buying a press for his father, 93 years old and still going strong in printmaking. And he was coming back to Aww. me. My dad really loves it. And that's, you know, those are the things that really give the energy to keep on making presses. I mean, that's that's really fantastic to get that kind of feedback. What are you all looking forward to? What's on the horizon that you maybe want to share with people? Yeah, of course. Well, we've, um, like you said, only only recently we've come up with a partnership with, with Speedball, of course. More is coming out of that. We are uh, also expanding or trying to help uh, Speedball expand the business a bit on this side of the world. I mean, uh, Speedball is a well-known brand, but in, here in, in, in Europe, it's not as easy to get. So we're trying to help out as well on that side. And when it comes to the presses, we want to... Awesome. Yeah, there's this. We, we get a lot of questions from all around the world because the word is spreading and uh, the quality of the presses. And like, for instance, Australia, we've, we've got a lot of questions from Australia. So now we get, we, we're getting in touch with, with, with uh, larger companies to do distribution in, for instance, Asia or uh, Australia as well. So, so that's on the horizon for us. Yeah, trying to expand that part, making it more easy for people to get access of the, of the to the presses. And that's, uh, yeah, actually, yeah, still that growth comes slow, but mm-hmm. <laughs> steadily. Um, yeah, yeah, that's one of the one of the things. And and yeah, we also want to try and keep up with uh, with demand that we currently have for for Europe and of course for the rest of the world. So, yeah, one step at a time. But uh, yeah, there's still a lot more presses to come. I can assure you that. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking actually when you were saying expanding into Asia. You know, I've spent some time in Japan and like places like Hong Kong where there people will live in pretty small apartments. And so that idea that you could have a little Woodzilla and have access to that creativity, you know, and it's only taking up, you know, just a little tiny corner of the the smaller spaces, that I could imagine would be really special and important for people. So that would be a wonderful place for, for Woodzilla to, to go. Yeah, it definitely is. And if, if, if I look back over the past few years and you where the presses already went to, then it's yeah. it's really it's amazing. Pretty cool. <laughs> it's from Mexico, Brazil, Korea, New Zealand, Singapore, Japan even. You know, so there's so many, so many presses all around the world. It's like uh I don't know, it's it's 
like a drop of oil in water. It's spreading fast. Yeah, I'm just imagining you all, you know, standing in front of a, a map of the world and the little countries <laughs> lighting up, you know, like a, like a supervillain as, as the Godzilla, like, yeah. is like, yes, we've got Korea now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's so much fun because you know, a lot of the places, uh, well, I, I think you have the same thing, especially if you've been living in, in Southeast Asia. If, you, if you've visited the places and then you send, uh, you, you're sending a press to Thailand to, yeah. and, and of course you're Googling, where's where my press is going? Yeah. Where, where is it? And then you go, oh, but this is close to, hey, we've been there, you know? It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's really fun. Very cool. Well, how can people find you and follow you and see the beautiful presses? And then also, uh, of course, follow Esther's art as well. Well, the, the presses can be found, well, uh, either on Etsy. We sell, uh, we started selling on Etsy at first. So that's Woodzilla Shop at Etsy. And we've, since about a year now, we have woodzillapress.com where you can find our web shop and find all the types and uh, all the lovely colors that we have in stock. Yes, I was just admiring the other day the mint green. Yeah. I reckon that one's rather popular. It's gorgeous. That's, <laughs> that's really popular. Yeah. I just finished a couple today, the A4s, but they, they go fast, really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're a great color. And then there's, of course, the, the Instagram, Woodzilla, which yeah. is also... Uh, really popular. I have uh, my website www.studiotokek.com.com Sorry, it was Dutch. <laughs> There's a blog on, uh, on it with some prints for offer some info about fabric printing and all the materials I use. And you can find something on the Speedball website as well about me. Oh, I have an Etsy shop, of course, with a lot of stamps on it. Lovely, yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you both for letting me borrow an hour of your time and telling such a beautiful story about your Woodzilla presses coming to life in the world. It was just really delightful, and I'm I'm glad that they're out there and and that the company's expanding. And I hope people get a chance to see them and experience them out there because they're making printmaking more accessible, which is always something that I am here for. Hundred. Hundred thousand percent. Thanks for the work that you do, and thanks for sharing your story with us. Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot for having us, and I hope a lot of people can can find us now if they haven't found us already. But we're here uh, for many more presses to come. So. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, we will keep in touch, and I'll I'll let you know when I've got a estimated release date, so we can do some good cross promotion with with getting yeah. print stuff yeah. out into the world. So okay, okay, okay. All right, thanks so much, you two. Have a good evening. Yeah, thank thanks you. a lot, Miranda. Yeah, thank you. Bye now. <laughs> Bye. Bye. If you liked today's episode, we have a Patreon, where you can help us keep the lights on and get bonus content, like Shop Talk Shorts, where our editor, Timothy Pauschak, digs deep on materials, processes, and techniques with past guests. Also, if you've listened this far, you might be that special kind of print friend who would leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the world to us if you did. It really does make an impact in the podcasting world. And that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest is Mi Zhen Shen. You may know her from her jaw-dropping printmaking woodcut installations that she's done with floor-to-ceiling interconnected prints. We speak about her childhood growing up in South Korea with a painter mom, how her work speaks to the interconnected nature of society, and the beauty and the peril of that truth. 
not to mention her co-founding printmaking studio and gallery in Buffalo and her Stop Asian Hate project. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.